0: In the last episode, we heard how Lionel Crabbe's life was in chaos by the mid-1950s, how he was broke, how his best mate Sidney Knowles was convinced he was about to defect to the Soviet Union. I want to run through what happened on the day Lionel Crabbe went missing. He was last seen alive around dawn on that day, and within hours, the Navy knew of his disappearance. And for the moment, that was that. Every journalist in the country was far too busy writing about Nikita Khrushchev's Cold War visit to London. Every journalist, that is, except one. Here it is, April Saturday, the twenty-first of April. And on that Saturday, two days after Lionel Crabbe's disappearance, Peter Marshall got a phone call. He was the local reporter, the one who'd earned himself a tidy sum covering the arrival of the Soviets in Portsmouth. He thought the story was at an end. In fact, it was only just beginning. So this phone call, it's from the Daily Mail. I had this call from Marshall Pugh and um, I knew the name well. I hadn't met him. That call was from a biographer named Pugh. He was writing a book about Lionel Crabbe at the time and was in regular contact with him. But let's stay on the timeline of Lionel Crabbe's disappearance. So the Soviet ships, they'd been in the harbour, in Portsmouth harbour, for four days, and this is when... You get a call from Marshall Pugh at the Daily Mail yes. trying to find the whereabouts of Lionel Crab. He's gone missing. Exactly so, yes. And Pugh, he's getting worried because he needs to speak to Crab. And Crab's disappeared. He hadn't been able to contact him for a week or so. But Pugh, Crab's biographer, he'd heard Crab had gone to meet some old mates in Portsmouth. So two days after Crab went missing, he asked Peter Marshall.
1: Could I use my contacts in Portsmouth to f- find out where the heck he was? Because he needed to talk to him.
0: So Peter Marshall did some digging, quizzed his contacts at the Navy's diving school, and he found them unusually tight-lipped. But they did say Crabb normally stayed at a hotel called the Sallyport when he came to Portsmouth. I then went to the Sallyport Hotel and it's in, in the, the old part of the, the city, the, a fine Georgian uh, building, like the ones yes, you see in period dramas.
1: And was thumbing through the guest registration book in the little lobby of the hotel, with nobody else around. And there were two names signed in together, Lionel Crab and Bernard Smith. They'd been signed in together,
0: and they'd been signed out together. Two days later. By which time Crab had gone missing, so someone else must have checked him out. Peter Marshall thought little of this at the time. Remember, he didn't know Crab had disappeared. He'd simply been asked to discover his whereabouts. And I went back to my office, which was only five minutes away, and um, rang back Marshall Pugh. He told him of the two names in the hotel's registration book, but he hadn't even finished his sentence when Pugh said,
1: Get your cameraman, go back, take a picture of that page with his signatures on as quick as you can and get it to me. Peter Marshall didn't hang around. So I collected um, my cameraman. We went down there within less than an hour. There in the lobby was the
0: registration book. The same registration book he'd seen less than an hour earlier. But when he opened it to the page with the two names... ..that page, it was gone. And all we know is this. That missing page marked the beginning of a cover-up one that continues to this day. And that cover-up, I want to get to the truth of what actually happened. I'm Giles Milton, and from Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is cover-up season one, Ministry of Secrets. Episode 4, Detective Lamport and the Missing Page.
2: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
3: For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points.
4: Sounds like it's time I
2: tried Cheapo Air.
3: Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
0: The more Sarah, my producer, and I research the story of Lionel Crab, the more we find ourselves drawn back to Anne Bevan, the Crab expert. We met her in the previous episode when she took us round Portsmouth, showed us Crab's favourite pub. Anne just loves the mystery of a cover-up.
2: There's nothing so certain to create a mystery like this than to try and suppress the truth.
0: The thing about Anne is that she and her late husband, John Bevan, spent half a lifetime researching Lionel Crab. John was determined to get to the bottom of the mystery. And before his death in 2020, he wrote Crabgate a meticulous piece of detective work. He really knew his stuff.
2: It was really only when he became ill towards um, the end of his life when I started to help him um, do some of his talks on crab.
0: Anne explains how John was a professional diver, worked in the North Sea, and then the two of them moved to Portsmouth. And that's when John became fascinated by crab's dive into the harbour, because there were still divers alive who'd actually known Lionel Crab. (laughs) He
2: just became fascinated with the story and went to extreme lengths to, to track down everybody who could possibly have been connected with the story to get first-hand accounts of what might have happened to Crab. If he had discovered a descendant or somebody who knew Crab in Antarctica, he would have made the journey.
0: And there's another thing that's important. John was a details man.
2: He was thorough, meticulous, You know, he went to great lengths to make sure that he could get as much information as he possibly could.
0: And because he was a professional diver...
2: He was very well placed to understand the conditions that Crab would have been diving in, the equipment that he would have been using, he knew all that inside out.
0: John was friendly, inspired confidence. And that meant people let down their guard.
2: During his investigations he actually had a lot of cooperation from a lot of people who he gave his word that he wouldn't um, disclose their names if they were bound by secrecy not to actually talk about it.
0: He was always so discreet and that's why people opened up to him.
2: So he does have a lot of material on Crab, but he would never have betrayed a confidence.
0: John soon made headway, but the information he uncovered, it came from senior figures in the Navy, and some of these people, they'd signed the Official Secrets Act. And this meant it was illegal for them to disclose secret intelligence, so they had to be extremely careful what they told him.
2: Um, I have files on Crab in his room, but I don't think...
0: I'm Anne's gonna... living room, it's cosy with its low coffee tables and leather armchairs. And we've pretty much finished our tea when she says to us.
2: What I'm going to do now is go to his office, which is freezing cold, but you can join me if you like. Okay, so walk this way.
0: Anne leads us through the hallway and along a corridor and into a back room and down some steps, and it's all getting very echoey. This was
2: John's office, which was a swimming pool. And so my. That's. Oh, well, wow. it, it actually
0: <laughs> There is a swimming pool here, yeah, but no water, just books. That's extraordinary. This is like mosaic tiles, <laughs> steps going down into the non-existent water. Anne's <laughs> husband, John, actually researched the crab mystery from above an empty swimming pool, which seems strangely appropriate. And it's a big pool, partially covered over, and it's crammed from the deep end to the shallow with books, papers, files... And everything here, everything is about Lionel Crab. This is just huge.
2: Yeah, I know. Loved
0: it here. Yeah. Oh look, Sarah. There's Crab research, Crab miscellaneous.
2: Oh, no. oh, look, newspapers, 1957.
0: Oh wow. Oh, there's sorry, a huge amount. Ken <gasps> Dock
2: Maitland Knowles. All
0: Every individual has a file. That's yeah, extraordinary. So We've entered an Aladdin's cave filled with thousands of files about Lionel Crab. Floor to ceiling, Crab's friends, Crab's contacts, Crab's diving buddies.
2: You know, it was just once he got his teeth into it, he just went for it. May the 11th, 1956. The 19th, Anne
0: Bevan tells us how her husband, John, found it important to establish a timeline of the Lionel Crab cover up.
2: To attempts by friends of Frogman Commander
0: Lionel. You see, Lionel Crabbe went missing on the 19th of April and there was no official comment from the government for 10 days. John's press cuttings begin with Crabbe's disappearance. So, at the moment, no suspicions at all.
5: Only that his close friends have noted that he's gone missing.
0: They've noted he's gone missing. So, um... And then, 10 days later, after mounting speculation, comes the official version of events. It's also in John's files. Those in Whitehall, the state, are now getting involved for the first time in the story of Crab's disappearance. They're saying that Crab is presumed dead, having drowned while conducting underwater tests in a place called Stokes Bay. But Stokes Bay is several miles along the coast from Portsmouth. And as for those Soviet ships in Portsmouth Harbour, Whitehall officials make no mention of them. They've got their version of events and they're sticking to it. And for the moment, the press are buying into the story. Here we have The Times officially reporting presumed death of Pioneer frogman. The next few articles are read by actors.
1: Commander Lionel Kenneth Philip Crabbe, whose death has been presumed by the Admiralty after trials with certain underwater apparatus near Portsmouth last week, was one of the most daring and enterprising frogmen during and after the
0: last war. So they're reporting the official line that the uh, government wants to put out. But John's press file reveals that not everyone's convinced. Some are beginning to challenge the official line. They're having doubts, especially the local Portsmouth Evening News. What is the mystery behind the
3: presumed death of Commander Lionel Kenneth Philip Crabb, one of the Royal Navy's top frogmen, who is officially reported missing by the Admiralty?
0: It doesn't quite add up. And because there's near silence from ministers and the like, journalists do what journalists always do and stitch together a story from scraps.
2: You know, when you have a mystery, you have people trying to solve that mystery and any little fact that emerges try and weld the whole story to it and possibly adjust the facts to make it fit that little tiny bit of truth.
0: Let's get back to Peter Marshall, the journalist who broke the story of Crab's disappearance. What was he seeing? We left him in the lobby of the Sallyport Hotel, the one overlooking Portsmouth Harbour and he just found the visitor registration book was missing a page. It had been ripped out, the one containing the names of Lionel Crabbe and his mysterious companion, Bernard Smith. Well, that was not quite the end of it, because when Peter Marshall turned to the next page in the book, he found a handwritten note, and it said... Removed by Detective Superintendent Jack Lamport, Portsmouth CID. So that missing page had been removed by the CID, the Criminal Investigation Department, the police. Which was strange. And even stranger was the fact they'd left a note, like a receipt. So the alarm bells begin to ring. So presumably you called back Marshall Pugh. Yes, indeed. Marshall Pugh. He's Crabb's biographer. And Pugh sounds deeply alarmed. And let's not forget Whitehall had put out that statement saying Lionel Crabbe had drowned in Stokes Bay, several miles away from Portsmouth. When did people put two and two together and think, hold on a minute, Crab's gone missing, there are Soviet ships in the harbour? Possibly this is a cover story being invented by by the Navy to cover up for something. Was was that was that immediate or did that take some time to sort of filter into the consciousness? I think it began to build up as soon as Crab's
1: death was announced, and uh, the fact that it was a clearly a sort of a cover-up type story, because uh, there was no inform- further information about what Crab had been doing or who he was working for at the time.
0: A cover-up, and this is the point at which the story of Lionel Crabbe's disappearance begins to assume a life of its own.
1: Daily Express had a piece, Daily Mail had another piece. It was in the News
0: Chronicle, the Daily Telegraph, Evening News, The Times. Amid all the noise came a story from the Soviet Union and it caused an even bigger stir. A Soviet officer revealing that Crab was being held in a Moscow prison.
1: We have got Crab. He is our legitimate prisoner. He was
0: captured after a struggle. There were details of Krab's capture, how he'd been plucked from Portsmouth Harbour while spying on the Soviet vessels. Crab is at the moment in solitary confinement. It was crazy. He has been given the number 147. The story, first picked up by the german paper bild zeitung offered no proof and no source but it no longer mattered the story of lionel crab's disappearance it quickly became a news sensation tv crews even flew in from america to cover the story headlines were splashed over front pages everywhere from le monde in france to the new york times the frog From Der Spiegel in Germany to El Universal in Mexico. Within days of Lionel Crabbe's disappearance, the story had started to spin out of control.
3: Sir Anthony Eden refuses to tell story
4: of
2: Frogman.
4: Amazing theory in the case of lost Frogman. Who's hiding what?
1: In Frogman,
2: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo
0: Air?
3: For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel book on the app and you get double points.
4: Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo
2: Air.
3: Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No.
0: In the very first episode of this podcast, when Sarah and I first started investigating Lionel Crabbe, we spoke with Rob Evans, The Guardian's investigative journalist. He's the guy who loves to do battle with Whitehall, and he's just recently notched up another win.
4: It was like a small victory against the the system, which pleased us no end.
0: And he has an infectious belly laugh. (laughs) I call him up again and explain what I've been doing, that I put out feelers on social media, Twitter, Facebook, even set up an account with Signal, which lets people contact you confidentially. And Sarah and I have also been to the National Archives, of course, but it didn't reveal much. While we've been piecing together Crab's final days in Portsmouth, we've also been trying to track down the Crab documents in Whitehall. So I ask Rob, what should be our next step?
4: The other route that you could do is you go down the Freedom of Information route and you could ask for, you know, this document to be released.
0: The freedom of information route. When he's investigating a story, he says, he likes getting his hands on official documents, ones with ministers' fingerprints on them. He reckons we should contact government departments, Whitehall, demand they release the secret Lionel Crab files. But he also warns they love to say no.
4: All they have to do is play one card. They just have to say, look, this relates to Section 23, Section 24, or relates to the intelligence agencies. You can't have it. End of story. Even the most mundane bollocks, basically, they will keep secret. They will fight tooth and nail, basically. That's just within their DNA.
0: And now I do, as Rob suggests, go down the official road, fill out an online Freedom of Information request blah-blah-blah, I'm a writer and historian, blah-blah-blah, and then, after a summary of the story, my payoff line. I request that all existing Lionel Crab papers be released into the public domain. I want them to lift the 100-year embargo. I've no idea who's got these papers, so I email half a dozen Whitehall departments. And to my amazement, I actually get a reply within a week. So I text Sarah to tell her, and she immediately jumps on a Zoom call.
5: So what about that email then?
0: Basically it starts, I can confirm that the Cabinet Office holds information relevant to your request. The Cabinet Office has not yet reached a decision on whether the balance of the public interest favours disclosure of this information. Well, they've had about seven decades to think <laughs>
5: about but Anyway. I'm not holding my breath, Giles, on this one. No.
0: The Cabinet Office. It's a Whitehall department, the most important of them all. And I know this is all a bit technical, but it's important for the story. The Cabinet Office is there to support the Prime Minister and his or her Cabinet. And since it's holding onto the Lionel Crab file, it strongly suggests the cover-up's been taking place at the highest level. That reply to my request, it also says that the Lionel Crab case concerns national security which suggests MI6, the CIA and the KGB may well be involved. I go back to Rob Evans and he tells me the Cabinet Office is highly skilled at blocking information, shutting it down. And he says they have two handy little tricks. One is by saying it relates to national security and the other...
4: You know, they are dotty about anything to do with the royal family. And, you know, the defences around the royal family are amazingly high. Again, you know, it'd be like, no, 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 you can't have that. So, yes, that if that is the case, that will be another hurdle to get over.
0: <laughs> the royal family, could they also be involved in the mystery of Lionel Crab?
4: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy
0: Tapes. So we now know that in the days and weeks following Lionel Crabbe's disappearance, there's been a cover up. And there's a key piece of evidence to support this. That crucial page in the Sallyport Hotel's registration book was the one thing that linked Crab to Portsmouth on the day before he went missing. But it was ripped out by the police. We also know that the Admiralty issued a statement saying Crab died in Stokes Bay while doing underwater tests for the Navy. But they offered absolutely no evidence to back up their story. And there was no body, don't forget. Peter Marshall, who was reporting on the case, was convinced that the story about Stokes Bay was untrue and that it was being deliberately planted by people within Whitehall. But who are these people? I need to take you on a deep dive into the world of the 1950s, find out more about the sort of people involved in the cover-up. Because this is a very British affair, it's very 1950s, and it's centred on a specific clique of people. So Sarah and I pay a visit to my friend, neighbor, and fellow historian, Miranda Carter. Miranda, she's cheery, smiley, with long hair and gray-blue eyes. She spent years researching this stuffy old world of pinstripes and briefcases.
5: If you were, for example, walking down Whitehall in the 1950s, you would see a lot of men, in fact, every man would be wearing a hat, you know, they'd be wearing their bowler hats.
0: In some way, Whitehall in the 1950s was like a mini version of the country itself.
5: It's a very white country, it's still a very conservative country by and large, and it's still a country that is overwhelmingly ruled by an elite men who went to the English public schools, Eton or Harrow or Marlborough, and then to Oxford and Cambridge. They all kind of know each other.
0: It's like a private club, a tight-knit group, men who went out with each other's sisters, who had the same nannies when young, who moved in the same circles, went
5: to the same house parties. And that's not all. So. There was still, in the 50s, a class of man who would go off to his gentleman's club, probably in Pall Mall, instead of going home to his wife, you know, go off and drink in the evening or have lunch there during the day and meet his male friends, because, of course, all these clubs were all male.
0: And the names of these clubs in Pall Mall, that's one of London's grandest streets. They even sound like something from the past, like a remnant of empire. The Reform Club, the Travellers, the Athenaeum... And they were grand like old-style palaces (coughs) and rather daunting to the occasional delivery man who was allowed inside
5: when you walk in it's all marble and pillars and gilt and colonnades and great big portraits of men you don't recognize (coughs) the libraries are full of books all the way around, and these enormous windows with great swag curtains made out of damask silk and gilded pillars and huge, great woven Turkish carpets and big armchairs.
0: There's even servants, because these establishment types, they're used to servants.
5: Liveried flunkies, waiters, would bring you your drink and your newspaper, and uh, in some rooms you weren't allowed to speak, you know, and you'd read the newspaper, like in all those films where, you know, some creaky old ruin goes in somewhere and sneezes and everybody looks at him and looks cross.
0: And if you were peering through the window, on the outside looking in, it would all look terribly civilised and genteel. But it was rather more disturbing than that.
5: It's a little hinterland where that elite, you know, that Oxbridge elite, meet and chat to each other and make connections.
0: So what did these people do? Miranda tells me they were government ministers, members of parliament, senior civil servants, lawyers, people with influence, with connections, the establishment... These people, she says, they really were the elite, and they knew how to keep a secret, worked behind closed doors. And those doors, they remained permanently closed to outsiders. Now, I've already told you about the growing press frenzy over Lionel Crabbe's disappearance, how, in the absence of any information from government, the press is wildly speculating on what might have happened. So what's going on within government at this time? They know they've got a big crisis on their hands and they're keeping tabs on all the press reports. But they also know that keeping secrets is what they do best.
4: This is the essence of what the British are about.
0: That's what Rob Evans, the investigative reporter, told us in episode one.
4: Secrecy is a very British vice.
0: Up to this point, the Prime Minister, Anthony Eden, has not said anything about the disappearance of Lionel Crabbe. But all that changes a couple of weeks into the crisis. We're inside the House of Commons. It's packed with Members of Parliament. They're jeering, cheering. It's raucous, like a circus. And then, big drama. An opposition Member of Parliament leaps to his feet. It's John Dugdale, with his slick-back hair and piercing gaze. He's a former journalist, asker of awkward questions. And on this particular day, he's got a whole series of awkward questions for the Prime Minister. He points at Anthony Eden. What the hell is going on, he wants to know.
4: Why was Commander Crab diving in the close vicinity of the Soviet cruiser?
0: <laughs> and another question.
4: Under whose authority was a police officer sent to the hotel at which Commander Crab was staying?
0: And a third.
4: Why did he order the leaves to be torn from the register showing the names both of Commander Crabb and of the man with whom he stayed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Anthony Eden, faced with an onslaught of questions, not just from John Dugdale, but from other opposition members of Parliament, he finally gives his response.
1: It would not be in the public interest to disclose
3: the circumstances in which Commander Crabb is presumed to have met his death.
0: And you can imagine John Dugdale shaking his head in disbelief, along with all his colleagues. He's not happy with Eden's answer, so he leaps back to his feet.
4: Is the Prime Minister aware that this is one of the most extraordinary statements made by a Prime Minister in the House of Commons? It is a complete evasion of ministerial responsibility. <laughs>
0: And John Dugdale is right, cos Eden's saying it would not be in the public interest to reveal the truth, and he's saying it to the House of Commons. And, basically, he doesn't want anyone in the country to know what actually happened. The establishment, true to form, are protecting themselves. But it turns out it's not quite as it seems, because Eden goes on to say...
3: What was done was done without the authority or knowledge of Her Majesty's ministers.
0: He's saying that neither he nor his ministers knew anything about Lionel Crabbe's dive in Portsmouth Harbour. It was done without their authority or even their knowledge. And when he says this, he's not denying it took place. He's hinting at the fact that this was some sort of rogue operation carried out by the secret intelligence service, by MI6. So who did authorise Crabbe's dive? Could someone in the Whitehall establishment have given orders behind the Prime Minister's back. Next time on Ministry of Secrets. Suspicion falls on a senior member of the Royal Family and rumours begin to fill the newspapers. Does Mountbatten know the
1: answer? Is he the only man in the world who knows the full facts of the mission and the fate of Commander Crab?
0: Want the full story? Unlock all episodes of Cover Up Ministry of Secrets ad-free right now by subscribing to The Binge, all episodes all at once. Plus you'll unlock brand new stories dropping every month. That's all episodes all at once, all ad-free. Just click subscribe on the top of the Cover Up Ministry of Secrets show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you listen. Find out more about The Binge and other podcasts from Sony Music Entertainment at sonymusic.com forward slash podcasts. Cover up season one, Ministry of Secrets is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. It's hosted and written by me, Giles Milton. The producer is Sarah Peters. The junior producer is Martha Miller. The production coordinator is E.K. Egbitola. Peggy Sutton is a story consultant. Jeremy Wormsley composed the original music with mixing and sound design from Peregrine Andrews. Isis Thompson is the editor and executive producer. With thanks to actors Dominic Frisbee and Peter Temple and Tuning Fork Productions.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.